Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, August 16th, 2010. I'm convinced I have two, possibly three programs worth of stuff to talk about. And I guess this is good news for me because it means I don't have to spend a lot of time preparing tomorrow's program. But what it does mean is you got to stay tuned. There's so much to cover. There's no way I can do it unless I do four hours of fighting for the faith. Must be the early twinges of the 2010 heresy season. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, heresy season usually begins right around uh, Labor Day in September here in the United States and goes all the way through to Memorial Day. So the heresy season is bracketed from basically from September to May. And uh, I know it's it's the middle of August, and so it's a little bit early, but sometimes heresy season begins just a twinge early. And uh, this year's heresy season is looking like it's going to be something huge. I, <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> what does that mean for me? Well, the ability to come to the radio and go, <sighs> because you all just really wanted to hear that. I, I know that that's, you know, that's the highlight of your day. I, <sighs> okay, so what? <laughs> With that in mind, I'm going to dive into the program. I'm, I, let's talk about what we're going to talk about, and then we'll talk about it. For today's program, let's talk. These are all suggested uh, program topics at the moment. These are suggested program topics, and they do not become official unless, of course, I actually uh, discuss the thing in depth during the program itself. So here's what's slated for today, and anything that doesn't get talked about today will probably get talked about tomorrow. So just, you know... That's how things work here at Fighting for the Faith. This is a stream of consciousness program, and I go until I'm done. That's just how it is. I don't have a particular time frame. In fact, if you were to look at our uh, iTunes account there, you know, if you go to iTunes and look us up in podcasts and iTunes, you will notice that uh, there ain't no consistency as to how long this program is. No, none whatsoever. It's generally two hours-ish. And uh, ish is just a way of basically saying that's the ballpark time frame that we shoot for. Sometimes, though, it could go as, as as long as three. It depends on if we're reviewing a Perry Noble sermon, which, by the way, I am considering reviewing a Perry Noble sermon. And uh, not because he's engaging in egregious heresy, but because um, I'm noticing that he's becoming more and more a disciple of Rick Warren and... Uh, there's a particular passage that Rick Warren has taught his disciples to use in in regards to evangelism that ain't an evangelism uh, passage. But anyway, I I digress. Today's program, 
I have an email that I want to read. I got a complaint. Yep, it's true. I, I got a complaint from a listener in uh, Malaysia, I, I believe. Yeah, let's see. Uh, Kuala Lumpur uh, in Malaysia. And um, he uh, he sent me to complain about my narrow-mindedness regarding the Poison cover song being played at uh, Perry Noble's church. And uh, this <laughs> this email is <laughs> very clever. I, that, that's all I should say. But anyway, we're going to read that email today from uh, from Vincent in Kuala Lumpur. And uh, and then let's see here. I got uh, audio, qu- real quick audio. There's a wealth transfer conference in Oklahoma City this year. We'll be, <laughs> we'll be listening to the uh, promo video for that uh, wealth uh, transfer of wealth conference. If you want to see the video itself, it's a short little thing. And it's already in the Museum of Idolatry, which is an online museum of, uh, of uh, basically the greatest collection of artifacts of apostasy in the world. And uh, it's an Internet-based museum, and you can peruse the different exhibits that I have placed up there. I am the curator there. And uh, if you want to visit it, the, the museum address is a little 11com Okay, so we're going to play that. Let's see here. Uh, the Perils of Wannabe Christianity. Now, there's a guy uh, I'm familiar with. His name is Brett McCracken. He's a Biola grad, and um, he's got a new book out. In fact, I'm, I've been reading a, a copy of his book, and I've been in communication with him because I want to have him on the program. And uh, the name of it is Hipster Christianity. So I, I'm familiar with Brett and uh, his work, and he recently had an article in the uh, uh, Wall Street Journey, uh, Wall Street Journey, <sighs> yeah, creeping decrepitude. There it is. You know, see, that's examples. I mean, when you, you think one thing and you say another, and you know, there's a disconnect between the brain and the tongue sometimes. And as you get older, as creeping decrepitude creeps upon me, uh, what was that line from Blackadder? Uh, f- <clears throat> uh, oh, I got to think about this. Um, Death and destruction stalk the land like two big stalking things. Yeah, that's one of my favorite lines from British comedy. Why am I talking about this? I have no idea. But if you if you're familiar with Black Adder, that the guy who plays Mr. Bean, I I I forget his real name, but uh, he did a series maybe about ten, fifteen, twenty years ago on BBC entitled uh, Black Adder. And very clever at parts, a little bit body in in, in some of the earlier editions, but uh, overall just some just some crazy, uh, fun and smart humor. Anyway, uh, anyway, so anyway, Brett McCracken, uh, hipster Christianity. That's his book. He's uh, the perils of wannabe cool Christianity is the name of the article that appeared in the Wall Street Journal on Friday. I want to read this to you and advise you to read things from Brett McCracken with just a bit of discernment. Uh, He makes some great points, but some of the points that he's making are exactly the same kinds of points that we were hearing from guys like Tony Jones and Doug Padgett early on in, in the early days of the emerging emergent church movement. And so there he uh, Brett is very adept at um, how shall I say it at the critique? Um, but I want more details as far as the solution offered. But so the, yeah, we'll be taking a look at that possibly today. Um, let's see how uh, is Benny Hinn a patron of the arts? Now, if you remember last week, I played audio from a recent edition of uh, Benny Hinn's television program. I think his program is called This Is Your Day. It's all about you. And um, and in there, he he apparently bravely. Uh, Hit this uh, 
Paula White scandal thing head on and and explained what the truth was. And and the truth was, is that not not what what came out in his early um, uh, statement that uh, he was traveling to uh, Rome for ministry opportunities with the Vatican. But as it turns out that uh, the Vatican had invited him to Rome in order to bestow upon him the title of patron of the arts. Uh, it well, um, Bud Press, uh, who is the director of the Christian Research Service, has um, uh, basically pointed us in the right direction here. He recently contacted the Vatican, and they even have a website uh, regarding uh, the patrons of the arts. And uh, he has contacted the folks over there at the uh, Vatican Museums, and uh, and asked them about Benny Hinn, and he's gotten a response. Well, this is Bud Press's uh, email exchange has, <laughs> well, let's just say, inspired me to pursue this further. And uh, I have uh, I have contacted the Vatican now, and uh, contacted the folks over at the patrons of the patrons of the arts and the Vatican museums in Rome, in Vatican City, in Europe, and um, have invited them to come on the program to discuss the claims made by uh, Benny Hinn. And uh, I haven't that we haven't gotten an official word back as to whether or not the Vatican will allow uh their representatives to come on my program to discuss this uh, uh it's Father Mark uh Haydu is the uh, gentleman that uh, I'm in contact with but uh, uh either he'll come on the program or they're considering uh, releasing an official statement uh, as it pertains to this because we're not the only media outlets uh inquiring about this event so I'll let you know what Bud Press discovered, and we'll talk about what I've discovered along the ways, along the way of this, and we'll go from there. So, is is Benny Hinn a patron of the arts? Well, it turns out that the story he told on his program may not exactly be the truth. Now, we're still trying to piece together the details, but we'll talk about that in a little bit here. Um, let's see. We could talk about today. Uh, <laughs> Joshua Mills, you know, who hangs out with Patricia King. <laughs> I saw this and just went, ew. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Joshua Mills apparently <laughs> is claiming that he has, that his feet have been overflowing with heavenly oil. And so what he's been doing is taking his, uh, the heavenly oil that's flowing from his feet and then stepping on, um, on some kind of prayer cloth, um, and uh, you, so you can receive a glory cloth that um, Joshua Mills has stepped on, and the heavenly glory oil that's flowing from his feet has penetrated with this heavenly oil. I don't have audio from that, but I do have what's on his website. <laughs> oh, man. And then uh, I've got a great article um, uh, from Edwin Chua of the Christian Post, um, the, the name of the the headline reads, Knowing the Real Jesus Changes Us, Scholars Said. And I thought this was a great uh, uh, article. Hopefully we'll get to this one today. If not, we'll get to it tomorrow. And then for our sermon review today. Sermon review today. After uh, you know, thinking about what what is going on, uh, you got Bill Hybels inviting uh, to so-called Christian leadership conferences men who are blatant heretics. 
and, or people who are attending heretical churches, such as uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes. And then, uh, and then we read that article uh, where apparently Jesus excited the crowd at his most recent leadership conference. And come to find out, one of the female pastrixes at Hillsong in Sydney, Australia, was uh, one of the featured speakers at uh, Bill Hybels uh, Willow Creek Church. And um, and I may, I've I've decided that it's time for me to put Hillsong onto the regular rotation as far as our sermon reviews here. I, I need to have a little bit more of a international view in mind when it comes to a heresy because Hillsong is obviously big business, not only in Australia, but here in the United States. And so today we're going to, as far uh, for our sermon review, I'm going to be reviewing two short sermons back to back. Uh, by Brian Houston, who is the founder and head pastor at Hillsong in Sydney, Australia. And the name of it is When Ordinary People See. When Ordinary People See. And um, th- I think listening to these short sermons, they, they're funny enough, they're the, each sermon is about the length of a Lutheran sermon. Uh, but when we put them two, when we put the two of them together, it's going to become very obvious very quickly that when it comes to Brian Houston and Hillsong, we ain't dealing with Christianity. We're dealing with flat-out, Bible-twisting, ear-itching, uh, ear-scratching uh, heresy. This man is not, is not a Christian preacher. And, um, you know, and here's the deal. I'm tired of these purpose-driven, seeker-driven guys giving credibility to flat-out heretics. And, you know, people say, well, they have, uh, you know, uh, Willow Creek has an Orthodox Christian statement of belief on their website. Yeah, well, um, they're inviting heretics uh, to uh, speak at their events, and they're treating them as Christian brothers, which basically tells me um, Bill Hybels, he's an enemy of the truth then. If his actions do not comport with a historic Orthodox uh, doctrines of the Christian faith, if his actions contradict it, we have to assume, based upon his actions, that he is no longer a friend of the historic Christian faith, but is an enemy of it. It's time for the church to wake up and stop being naive. You know, here we are wringing our hands going, oh, I don't understand why Bill Hybels is inviting heretics to speak at his events and treating them like Christian brothers. The answer needs to be deduced from the actions themselves. Okay, now I invite heretics onto my program. I invite them on, and the thing is, is that when they come on the program, you know that I consider them to be heretics. I'm bringing them on so that you can hear what it is they believe, teach, and confess, and compare what they're saying in the name of God to the Word of God. I'm not bringing them on and saying, let me introduce you to my Christian brother, uh, Brian McLaren. Let me introduce you to a, a Christian brother that I really love, and his name is uh, Doug Paget. No, when I invite them on, it's clear that uh, these are interviews that I'm doing from the horse's mouth. That's a completely different animal. When Bill Hybels invites T.D. Jakes and folks from Hillsong to speak at his conferences, they are presented as Christian brothers and sisters, yet the, the confession of faith, the, what they believe, teach, and confess, is something completely different than what the Bible teaches and what the historic Christian church has believed and taught and confessed from the beginning. That being said, if somebody doesn't have enough love for Christ's sound doctrine taught in the scriptures, that they would indiscriminately 
present somebody as a Christian brother or sister when they're not, when they don't bring us the historic Christian faith, we have to at that point say, I'm sorry, but until I see that person repent, I'm not going to be naive, and that person goes into the category of enemy of Christianity. And that's what we have to do with Bill Hybels. I don't care how many Orthodox um, Orthodox sermons you can present to me saying, listen, Bill Hybels believes these things. He, he believes the historic Christian faith. Well, if he really believed the historic Christian faith, then why is he presenting heretics at his conferences as if they're Christian brothers and sisters? It doesn't make any sense. Somebody who really, truly subscribes to the historic Christian faith and really, really, truly believes what Scripture says would never present a heretic as a Christian brother or sister, plain and simple. So we have to let actions speak as loud as, and if not louder, than words in these particular cases. Plain and simple. I, I event, I, you know, what's funny is, is that th- this is not news for me, but it might be news to you as to why I'm taking this tack. I, I attended the Reveal Now conference a few years ago at, uh, at Willow Creek. And one of the things that really struck me is that, re- remember, the Reveal Now was the survey that they came up with. They, they were trying to come up with a product where they can assess qualitatively. Um, whether or not uh, the you know seeker-driven churches were you know were doing a good job, not just numerically. I mean, all the seeker-driven churches they're obsessed with numbers, you know, numbers and results, numbers and results. If it's growing, God's blessing it. And so what they did is they came up with a Reveal Now survey to kind of take a look at well, how effective are we at passing on the historic Christian faith? And the Re- the Reveal Now survey, I mean, was created a huge mea culpa. Uh, with several of the big seeker-driven churches, including Willow Creek as well as Granger Community, up there in uh, in uh, in is it South Bend, up in Indiana, Northern Indiana. Anyway, and it showed that they were. I mean, the people that were that were attending church were did they didn't believe the historic Christian faith. So then I, you know, I thought, okay, this is big news. So I attended the Reveal Now conference, and I've got the Reveal Now. Uh, I have both the Reveal Now books that were published. And what's funny is, is that that particular product has mysteriously gone silent. I, I don't even know if they're continuing along these lines because it was giving guys like me the hammer to beat them with. Anyway, um, so I attended the uh, Reveal Now conference, and one of the things that just struck me is that at the conference – they invited guys up to speak to the rest of the, basically the tens of thousands of people in attendance at the conference who were patently heretics. There was a guy who got up and he addressed everybody and he was a, um, uh, he, he was a, um, a disciple of Fred Price, the Fred Price, the, uh, prosperity heretic. And they presented him and his church as an example of a church that's being blessed by God and has and that's having a positive impact. Well, how can it be being blessed by God when the doctrine that he presents is contrary to what God's word teaches? It doesn't make any sense. And at that point I realized these folks are, you know, in their quest to be relevant and create a product that that spans the entire quotes Christian spectrum. They have no scruples whatsoever doctrinally, none whatsoever. And so when we hear that Hybels is inviting men like Brian McLaren to address the youth at their at their conferences, when he's inviting guys, uh, when Rob Bell was recently at, uh, at uh, Willow Creek, uh, teaching there at Willow Creek just a few weeks ago, inviting Rob Bell, uh, it, Brian McLaren, T.D. Jakes, 
and this gal from Hillsong. Okay, the conclusion, you, 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 it's time for folks to just stop being naive and make the and make the tough call. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'll just do it for you. You just blame it on me. I'm, I'm calling it. Willow Creek is no longer a Christian church, plain and simple, and Bill Hybels hates sound Christian doctrine and is an enemy of sound Christian doctrine. If it were not true, then he would not be inviting these obvious heretics uh, and presenting them as Christian brothers and sisters at his church, plain and simple. Willow Creek is now an enemy of Christianity. And he's saying, man, that's a hard line to take. Yep, and I defy you to tell to show me otherwise. Willow Creek is now an enemy of the Christian faith. They have to be because they are presenting heretics as if they are Christian brothers. Plain and simple. And I won't repent from that unless they repent and say, well, we do care about the truth. Well, if they do, then they're going to they're going to make a public statement apologizing to the Christian faith, to basically to Christians around the world for inviting heretics to speak at their conferences and presenting them as if they are Christian brothers and sisters. Plain and simple. If they won't do that, then I will not retract my statement. Willow Creek is an enemy of Christianity. So there you have it. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get email on that, and I'm going to stick to my guns. Anyway, with that in mind, we're going to uh, dive into the program proper. All of that was just the beginning, and it's time for us to do our email. Here we go. From Kuala Lumpur, Vincent writes, from, yes, Kuala Lumpur, Asia. The headline in the email basically said that he's got a complaint about me complaining about the Poison song being played as a cover uh, during, uh, not this past Sundays, but the Sundays before uh, opening the praise set at um, New Spring Church there in Anderson. Um, so Vincent writes, he says, greetings from the Federation of Malaysia. Uh, please excuse the brevity and harsh tone of this letter. I, I excuse you, Vince. He says, for it's written with haste that it might reach you more quickly. <laughs> okay, that should yeah, <clears throat> tip you off as to what's going on here. Yes, I wrote, the, notice how quickly I wrote the letter so that you can read it faster. Anyways, for it's <laughs> Okay, so he says uh, uh, that you have a chance to both apologize and to correct your false report. Whilst your coverage of Christian topics is usually agreeable and well-researched, a, a record for which I am grateful, uh, your episode of the 12th of August exhibited such narrow-mindedness and rude reactionary rhetoric that I could barely make it through the first segment. Whew. <clears throat> All right. Please uh, tell us some more. Um, he says, I'm referring, of course, to the way in which you treated the Christian rock song. <laughs> Poison's a Christian band? I had no idea. The Christian rock song, Nothing But a Good Time by Poison. Only somebody hell-bent on missing the point could possibly fail to see how deeply relevant the song is to a victorious Christian life. And indeed, how well-grounded it is in the Holy Scriptures. <laughs> Really? <laughs> okay, let's see you make your point. He says, whilst it certainly is not my job to provide you with that education you obviously lack, I will set forth some points 
by way of example that you might think on them and realizing your error, try to rectify a little of the wrong you have done both to the good pastor's image and to your listeners who have suffered such an abuse of trust. I Okay. It says the first verse uh, in Poison's Nothing But a Good Time is clearly a statement of human depravity. The lyrics cleverly using poverty as an allegory for sin. Uh, okay, hang on a second here. I need to remind everybody what the, if you're not, I, by the way, I never was really into poison. Um, uh, but I do have the lyrics and we have the song that, that we can review here now. Here, so this was written by Brett Michaels, DeVille, C. Dahl, and B. Rocket of Poison. Uh, here's the first, uh, the first verse. It reads, now listen, not a dime. I can't pay my rent. I can barely make it through the week. Saturday night, I'd like to make my girl, but now I can't make ends meet. Always working, slaving every day. Got to get away from the same old, same old. I need a chance to get away. If you can hear me think, this is what I'd say. Don't need nothing but a good time. How can I resist? Ain't looking for nothing but a good time. And it don't get better than this. So if yeah, let me read, you know, let's uh, let's hear this again. This Christian, apparently Christian praise song. Vince is making the case. This is a Christian band, Poison. So uh, let's go back to the email here. That was just for review's sake. Okay, so Vince from uh, uh, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Okay, so he makes the case. The the words Saturday night I'd like to... Oh, hang on a second. I I just jumped ahead. Okay, so the first verse is clearly a statement of human depravity. The lyrics cleverly using poverty as an allegory for sin. Now listen, not a dime. I can't pay my rent. Is just a reworking of Psalm 38, verses 3 through 4. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. You know, I got to tell you, Vince, I completely miss the connection between that that opening phrase in the the lyrics to Psalm 38, 3 through 4. I I can't believe I missed that. Wow. I just, yeah, I, I, I what was I thinking? <clears throat> we continue. The, the words, Saturday night I'd like to make my girl, but right now I can't make ends meet, no, are, by enlightened Christians, understood to be simply to say that whilst he wishes for reconciliation with God, his <laughs> lack of righteousness means it's impossible. Yeah, I, I missed that too. I d- did not even realize that what Poison was really singing about when they said Saturday night I'd like to make my girl but right now I can't make ends meet was really all about reconciliation with God. Now, I just got to ask the question then, Vince, do you think Poison thinks that God's a girl? 
anyway, <clears throat> okay, so he says, note the reference uh, to the Saturday, the day before the resurrection. This verse then, <laughs> which had opened with depravity, is closing with a reworking of Romans 3.23. <laughs> For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God by way of continual co- continuity, indeed echoing the topical structure of this chapter of Romans, as you are uneasy with non-male references to God, I can see why you missed this one, so I don't hold it against you. Yeah, you see, exactly. I'm When people talk about the goddess mother thing, um, yeah, I, nothing registers in my mind as even being remotely sound Christian doctrine. But, you know, I so apparently that when they were, when Poison was talking about making their girl, that was about reconciling with God. Okay, so the second verse could be lifted directly from the Holy Scripture were not for the poor grammar. Oh, so the reason I missed part the second verse, I'm always working, slaving every day. Um, the reason I missed that direct connection to the Holy Scripture is because of the bad grammar. Obviously, they were trying to make it rhyme. He says, um, this. so when they say, I'm always working, slaving every day, this is an obvious, obviously analogous to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2a, which reads, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, and got to get away from the same old, same old, is a very creative reference to the need to put to death the old man and get away from this slavery to sin. See Colossians chapter 3. Five through seven. <laughs> okay, the email continues. Events continues. The gospel, and I, f- I, I feel sure that this is what you are waiting for, starts to be revealed in the next two lines, vis-a-vis, quote, I need a chance to just get away. If you could hear me think this is what I'd say. Discounting the dubious effort at rhyme, this is a statement of our need for the grace of God, the chance in order to escape the coming wrath. Get away now. The stage is set. We have recognized that we are unwilling, unable, and damned, and that we depend upon God, the grace of God, a state in which nothing but the pure gospel of Christ will satisfy our deep sorrow. Finally, the gospel is stated, although I regret it, is by allegory, in the words, don't need nothing but a good time. How can I resist? Ain't looking for nothing but a good time, and it don't get better than this. I feel sure that by now you have realized the errors of your ways, Yet in the off chance that you remain blinded to the gospel truth of Poison's Christian masterpiece, I will spell it out. To state that one needs nothing but a good time is by way of implication to say that someone else must need nothing but a bad time. That is, a sacrificial offering must be made on one's behalf. How can I resist? States the effectual nature of the sacrifice such that it is the work of God alone by grace. That is, the singer ain't looking for nothing but indisputably a statement of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice made once for the sin of the world. For if it were not, if it were not, the singer would still be looking for something more. This praise song closes with clear references to the gospel. I, it don't get better than this, for truly there is nothing better than the glorious message of our salvation. I will trust that you will make such apologies as are necessary your brother in Christ, Vincent from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Vince? Um, that was disturbingly brilliant. <laughs> That's all I can say. That was disturbingly brilliant. 
Okay. <laughs> We're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask me my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh, sacked the choir, and put dang. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to record are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll I'll come in again. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian shirts. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know. I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do chief ex- weapons are our chief weapons are um, purpose, uh, uh, vision. Okay. And- okay. Stop. Stop that. Stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah 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 blah. Youth pastor Rick. Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're, we're innocent. innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that!
Dr. Rod Rosenblatt discussing the church's need for world-class scholarship and the unique way in which the British academic model offered at the Wittenberg Institute can help provide you with a top-level postgraduate theological degree. Christians are dependent on good scholarship in a way that sometimes we forget. Think of Tyndall House in England. Some of those evangelicals were so ruled away from the big table conversation in the Church of England that they had to develop graduate training under particular guys who had a high view of Christ and a high view of Scripture. Over the years, they did marvelous stuff with individual young scholars who came there to be trained. So what's the difference between the European model and the American model? The European is used to saying things like, I studied under so-and-so. And the American, uh, that's pretty foreign. And I'm not here talking about the diploma mills. I'm talking about somebody who is tutored, something like Oxford or at Cambridge, and uh, walked through graduate work. If you would like more information about the Wittenberg Institute's British-styled research master's degree, then visit them on the web at wittenberginstitute.org forward slash PCR or call them at area code 425-533-8659. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, if a Christian pastor is presenting heretics as fellow brothers and sisters, the guy presenting them is not a Christian brother. He's an enemy of the Christian faith. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring this hard-hitting and politically incorrect uh, program to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting us uh, our website, uh, visiting us online at fightingforthefaith.com. When you get to the webpage, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you uh, join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Now, uh, listen, I, it sounds like I've uh, cranked up the rhetoric a little bit here. Yeah, I, I have. L- l- let me make something really clear. 
okay, just because there's water in the toilet at the truck stop doesn't mean that I recommend drinking from it. Yeah, exactly. You think, whoa, <laughs> right, exactly. I'm sorry, but the folks like Hillsong, Joel Osteen, uh, guys like uh, T.D. Jakes, uh, Brian Houston, Brian McLaren, these are these are the types of men that are being invited to these seeker-driven conferences, and they're being brought onto the stage as if they are true Christian brothers when they are heretics. Now, granted, there might be some water in the toilets that th these guys represent, but I don't recommend drinking from them, and I would warn you, hey, you're drinking from a toilet. Exactly. Because Bill Hybels and Ed Young and guys like that refuse to take a, a basically a principled stand on what God's Word teaches and refuse to act upon the category of heresy, and they insist on presenting people who teach false doctrine, who are clearly heretics, as Christian brothers and don't say a word about their false doctrine, we have to at this point basically say they're not acting in accord with the truth. They are siding with heretics. And as a result of it, we have to assume that they are enemies of the cross. If you disagree with me, give me a disagreement based upon Scripture. Right. All right. <sighs> Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little exercised today. I've been reading oh man. Second weekend in a row where I have just spent practically the entire weekend reading the church fathers. And uh, we're talking, you know, church fathers prior to the uh, to the Council of Nicaea. And boy oh boy, those guys did not pull any punches. They I mean I sound timid compared to the rhetoric those guys use. Timid. But I tell you, reading what they've they've written against heretics and what they've and what they've written against heresies it's given me a whole new, I don't know, the lack of a better way of putting it. It's put wind in my sails and made me realize that even I wasn't even speaking strongly enough or clearly enough against heresies in some in some senses. And so I've repented of being timid. That, that's probably the best way I can put it. Okay, moving along here. From the Wall Street Journal, article by Brett McCracken, The Perils of Wannabe, wannabe Cool Christianity. Now, I want you to listen to what Brett says because much of what he says is spot on. My question for Brett, if I can get him to come on the program, is going to be what's his solution, and I will be catechizing him as to what it is that he believes, teaches, and confesses because uh, there's, um, there's evidence out there that he may not be the most discerning of Christians. But we read, uh, he says, how can we stop the oil gusher may have been the question of the summer for most Americans. Yet, um, uh, yet for many evangelical pastors and leaders, uh, the leaking well is nothing compared to the threat posed by an ongoing gusher of a different sort. Young people pouring out of their churches never to return. Yeah, that's that is happening. Brett says, as a 27-year-old evangelical myself, I understand the concern. My peers, many of whom grew up in the church, are losing interest in the Christian establishment. Well, my question is, are they even being taught what Christianity is? Recent statistics have shown an increasing exodus of young people from churches, especially after they leave home and live on their own. In a 2007 study, LifeWay Research determined that 70% of young Protestant adults between 18 to 22 Stop attending the church regularly. 
Statistics like these have created something of a mania in recent years as baby boomer evangelical leaders fr- frantically assess what they have done wrong. Why didn't megachurches work to attract youth in the long term? I can answer that question because megachurches are basically big uh, big amusement parks. And they have they, they have bright, shiny facades, but no depth. Yeah, you can't build Christianity on entertainment because entertainment is not what Christianity is about, nor is it a self-help religion. Anyway, uh, let's see here. And so they're scrambling to figure out a plan to keep young members engaged in the life of the church. Increasingly, the plan has been has taken the form of a total image overhaul where efforts are made to rebrand Christianity as hip, countercultural, relevant. And as a result, in the early 2000s, we got something called the Emerging Church, a sort of postmodern stab at an evangelical reform movement, perhaps because it was too let's think everything, rethink everything radical. It fizzled out quickly, but the impulse behind it to rehabilitate Christianity's image and make it cool remains. By the way, uh, Brett, I disagree. The Emergent Church has not fizzled. It's In fact, it's it's basically changed tactics and it's now permeating practically everything and the thing that they're after by the way uh see the emergent church has already conquered the left they have conquered the left and it wasn't even a fair fight i mean the emergent church postmodern irrational philosophy which is really what this is um has obliterated the modernist left and now the left is permeated by a bunch of basically agnostic skeptic irrational thinkers who don't believe in anything as, as anything such as knowable transcendent truth and so it hasn't fizzled it's taken over many many of the uh, academic uh of the academic institutions within christianity Keep that in mind. Anyway, he says the impulse behind the emergent church to rehabilitate Christianity's image and make it cool remains. There are various ways that churches attempt to be cool. For some, it means trying to seem more culturally savvy. The pastor quotes Stephen Colbert or references to Lady Gaga during his sermon. Or a church sponsors a screening of an R-rated No Country for Old Men or for Others. The emphasis is on the emphasis is on looking cool, perhaps by giving the pastor a metrosexual makeover with skinny jeans. By the way, if anyone ever attempted to give me a metrosexual um, makeover and put me in skinny jeans, I would stop breathing. Yeah, it's it's true, because um, since I've embraced post-modernity, I want you to know I'm an underweight fat guy. So putting me in skinny jeans, that just ain't going to work. No, no, I, I guarantee you I would lose the ability to breathe and at that point would probably turn blue and then assume room temperature. So don't even try it, you know. And plus, I I'm not very fond of metrosexual things anyway. I I'm a guy. I'm a dude. I I wear t-shirts. I wear shorts. I grunt. I don't shave at times. I have whiskers. I smell bad, and I'm overweight. <clears throat> anyway, let's continue. <clears throat> Why did I even say that? I I I don't know. I'm 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 on tangent world today. Okay. Anyway, or, so uh, let's see. By giving the pastor a metrosexual makeover with skinny jeans and an eighty-dollar haircut, eighty dollars for a haircut? Are you serious? Oh, that seems like a waste of money. I mean, I, I like the uh, – I go to Great Clips. I pay 12 bucks for a haircut, and then I wait six weeks before I get another one. It's true. And most of the time, <laughs> I just put a hat on. You know what's funny? <laughs> another side note. I'm off on a tangent. I might as well go there. Um, My daughter-in-law, Jazz, um, she um, 
when she first saw pictures of me and saw that I, you know, wore a baseball cap backwards because I'm trying to be so trendy and cool, um, she thought maybe the reason why I wore a baseball cap backwards is because I was balding. Yeah. I'm not, by the way. I, my my side of the family, the, the, what I've inherited genetically as far as the hair thing is concerned, I don't have to worry so much about the balding thing. My son, on the other hand, does, but I don't. So just want to let you know that, Jazz, uh, Josh will probably lose all of his hair by the time he's 35 years old. I just want you to know that. <laughs> moving along, moving along. Okay, so okay, so okay, so a metrosexual makeover, skinny jeans, $80 haircut, or by insisting on trendy, eco-friendly paper and Helvetica-only fonts on all printed materials, uh, then there is the option of holding a worship service in a bar or a nightclub, as in the case of L.A.'s Mosaic Church, whose downtown location meets at a night spot called Club Mayan. Wannabe cool Christianity also manifests itself as an obsession with being on the technological cutting edge. Churches like Central Christian in Las Vegas and Liquid Church in New Brunswick. Liquid? Um, uh, that's in New Jersey. For example, have online church services where people can have a worship experience at an iCampus. Many other churches now encourage texting, Twitter, and phone iPhone interaction with the pastor during their services. But one of the most popular and arguably the most unseemly methods of making Christianity hip is to make it shocking. What better way to appeal to younger generations to push the envelope and go where no fundamentalist has gone before? Sex is a popular shock tactic, you think? That's probably why that's one of the largest uh, wings in the Museum of Idolatry. Sex is a popular shock tactic. E- evangelical authored books like Sex God by Rob Bell and Real Sex by Lauren Winner are par for the course these days. At the same time, many churches are finding creative ways to use sex-themed marketing gimmicks to lure people into church. Exactly. That's what they are. They're sex-themed marketing gimmicks because, well, you know, sex sells. And since they're selling the church, since the church is a business, it just makes perfect sense. Oakleaf Church in Cartersville, Georgia, created a website called YourGreatSexLife.com to pique the interest of young seekers. Flamingo Road Church in Florida created an online anonymous confessional, I've screwed up.com, and had a web series called MyNakedPastor.com, which featured a 24 7 webcam showing five weeks in the life of Pastor Troy Gambling. What? <laughs> How did I miss that one? Are you serious? <laughs> The 24-7 webcam of the life of the pastor for five weeks? Ew. Okay, then there's Mark Driscoll at Seattle's Mars Hill Church, who delivers sermons with titles like Biblical Oral Sex and Pleasuring Your Spouse, and is probably the first and only pastor I've ever heard of to say the word vulva uh, during a sermon. No, that's not volvo, but yeah, you get what I'm saying. Anyway, but these are gimmicks. Real, uh, but are these gimmicks really going to bring young people back? to church is this what people really come to church for maybe sex sermons and indie rock worship music do help in getting people in the door and maybe even in winning new converts but what sort of christianity are they being converted to um uh, brett i'd like to answer that question if they're not being converted to biblical christianity uh they're not being converted to christianity there's there's christianity and then there's nothing else it's either Christian or it's not. You're either pregnant or you're not. That's you know that's how those things work. In his book, The Courage to Be Protestant, 
David Wells writes, quote, The born-again marketing church has calculated that unless it makes deep, serious cultural adaptations, it will go out of business, especially with the younger generations. What it has not considered carefully enough is that it may well be putting itself out of business with God. Yeah, good point. Quote, and the further irony, he adds, is that the younger generations who are less impressed with whiz-bang technology, who often see through what is slick and glitzy and who have been on the receiving end of enough marketing to nauseate them, are as likely to walk away from these oh-so-relevant churches as to walk into them. If the evangelical Christian leadership thinks that cool Christianity is a sustainable path forward, they are severely mistaken. As a 20-something, I can say with confidence that when it comes to church, we don't want cool as much as we want real. If we are interested in Christianity in any sort of serious way, it's not because it's easy or trendy or popular. It's because Jesus himself is appealing, and what he says rings true. It's because the world we inhabit is utterly phony, ephemeral, narcissistic, image-obsessed, and sex-drenched, and we want an alternative it's not because we want more of the same. Now, this is a brilliant piece. This is a br- this as far as the critique is concerned, he said it better than I could. And it well written, well said, nice turns of phrases and I like this last kicker. Okay? He says uh, the the world we inhabit is utterly phony, ethereal, narciss- ephemeral, narcissistic, image obsessed and sex drenched and we want an alternative. May I suggest then that if you want an alternative, get back to the historic Christian faith in a church that practices the historic Christian liturgy, where the historic biblical gospel of Christ and him crucified for our sins is proclaimed and placarded every Sunday, where you hear of the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the Lord's Supper partake of the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins Sunday after Sunday. The opposite of this trendy, cool, ephemeral, narcissistic, image-obsessed, and sex-drenched church is what Christianity has been for the last 2,000 years until some slick marketing folk here in the United States thought it would be fun to tie, the hitch the Christian wagon to the cultural train wreck anyway i'm working on uh getting a uh, mccracken onto the program to interview him i'd like to have delve into these topics just a little bit more oh man there's just no way i'm going to get to everything here today mm, let me uh <laughs> we're going to run a little bit long in this first hour so it's going to be like the first hour 15 because i just want to bring you up to speed on a couple of things uh, at the Museum of Idolatry at a little leaven dot com, the uh, the latest, um, uh, well, how do I put this? A little leaven. Hang on a second. A little leaven. There you are. Uh, at the Museum of Idolatry, the latest exhibit into the museum is entitled, get this, Wealth Transfer Conference. Wealth Transfer Conference. Now I've heard of these before. I, in fact, I'm familiar with kind of this category of type of preaching that goes on in the um um sorry it's transfer of wealth conference in in the uh in the prosperity preaching crowd they have this idea that apparently uh you can blab it and grab it name it and claim it and because you are you have the inside track with god because 
uh, you're doing the things that please God, at least the things that these guys say will please God, then what will happen is, is that you can plunder the world. Yeah, and, and, you, you know, and, and take the world's wealth and make it your own. Yeah, this is um, this is the uh, promo for the upcoming Transfer of Wealth Conference in Oklahoma City. L- listen in. Join Dr. Mario Maxwell for the Transference of Wealth Conference 2010. Dr. Mario Maxwell. The, the guy looks like he's 22 years old. Where did he get this doctorate? September 9th through the 12th. Featuring inspired speakers Dr. Pat Francis, Dr. John Benefield, Judy Jacobs, special musical guests Trent Corey and more. Learn how to claim your inheritance and bring forth your blessing. Learn how to claim your inheritance and bring forth your blessing. For tickets and more information, visit MMIM.org. The Transference of Wealth Conference 2010. It's your time. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's your time. By the way, I I, I got to applaud the folks at MMIM.org, um, Mario Maxwell's Transference of Wealth Conference. At least they're engaging in almost um, honest advertising because exactly this is a Transference of Wealth Conference. But what he's not telling you, what Mario Dr. Mario Maxwell, I don't even think Dr. Mario Maxwell shaves, uh, but Dr. Mario Maxwell – um. He, um, the thing he's not telling you in this little promo here is, is the transference of wealth that's going to take place is that those who show up to the conference, the attendees of the conference, will transfer their wealth to the people speaking at the conference. Yeah, that's how this works. And it will all happen under the guise of if you want to receive your hundredfold blessing from God – then you have to sow your seed, and the way you sow your seed is to give to transfer your wealth from your bank account to their bank account. And see, then after you do that, God will say, oh, wow, they're serious, and then I'll bless them 100-fold. This is a Christian Ponzi scheme. Uh, it's a pyramid scheme, and it basically under this is blasphemy. This is what it means to take God's name in vain. False doctrine and false teaching is basically spiritual adultery and what you're listening to are folks who are con artists they've set up a ponzi scheme wrapped it in so-called pietistic biblical language and they're going to have you transfer your wealth to them that's what that is so yeah again i don't even i'd I'd like to know where dr mario maxwell got his doctorate from because again his, his he doesn't even look like he's old enough to have graduated from high school let alone have a doctorate some of the things that drives me crazy. All right, now, uh, last thing that we're going to get to today uh, in this segment before we go into the sermon review, the rest of the stories we'll save until tomorrow. Um, if you remember, we played audio from uh, from Benny Hinn, and Benny Hinn uh, explaining what was going on with um, he and Paula White. Now, he made a statement, and he made a statement in that audio that we played here that basically, uh, here's what he said. And a friendship did develop. But hear this. No immorality whatsoever. These people out there are making it sound like we had an affair. That's a lie. That's a total lie. Because the second you say affair, you think sex. There's no truth to that whatsoever. None. The Vatican did invite me a few days ago they made me a patron of the arts in the vatican two weeks ago and that's a fact 
A patron of the arts means you support the Vatican so they can maintain all the work of Michelangelo. I'm one of the guys now that supports what they do. And that is a fact. I was there and we were taken around by a man named Wilhelm Kramer. And they asked me, literally they said, do you know people that can help us financially? But all right. And here's what I made my mistake. I let her come with me to Rome. So that was uh, Benny Hinn just uh, talking about how, you know, the, he was invited to the Vatican to become a patron of the arts. By the way, the uh, patrons of the arts, uh, the Vatican has a website for the patrons of the art. And if you'd like to visit it, you can. It's www.vatican-patrons.org. That's www.vatican-patrons.org. Gee, by the way, um, if when you visit their website, you'll find out that uh, this idea of being a patron of the arts at the Vatican Museums dates back to 1982. And there are different types of membership uh, that you can participate in, depending on the type of membership desired. Uh, your annual fees to be a patron of the art are either $250 a um a year or $500 a year or $1,000 a year. And once the requirements are met, the individual or family then is designated as a patron of the arts. This is what the Vatican uh, Museum, uh, this is what the webpage sets, says. Go to vatican-patrons.org and you'll, you know, you'll, you can see the different membership options. So, here, Benny Hinn has basically made it sound like he was invited, because, I mean, he's such a fat cat, uh, to uh, the Vatican in order to become a patron of the arts. I mean, it sounds like some, you know, this amazing title that has been bestowed upon him. I mean, I'm sure a patron of the art, the way he's described it, falls somewhere just below knighthood. You know, if, uh, if he were, if this were happening in Great Britain, the next highest honor would be that he would be granted knighthood by the Queen of England. Yeah, we'd have to call him Sir Benny Hinn at that point. Anyway, um, with that in mind, um, when you start checking the facts on this, things just don't add up. And so uh, Bud Press of the Christian Research Service um, sent off an email to uh, Father, uh, let's see, f f what's his name? Uh, let's see here. Father Mark uh, Haydu, H-A-Y-D-U. I'm probably mispronouncing that. And and here's the uh, he email that he sent to Mark Haydu, and he sent to, this to several different people there at the Patrons of the Arts uh, who are responsible for this, uh, in uh, Patrons of the Arts and Vatican Museum's Palazzo Apostolico at Vatican City in Europe, uh, he, he wrote, To whom it may concern, recently the American televangelist Benny Hinn said that he had been invited to the Vatican and became a patron of the arts in order to maintain the work of Michelangelo. Also, Benny Hinn said that he was accompanied by a woman named Paula White who said she traveled to Rome to meet with Vatican officials. And so Bud Press said, I'm requesting your verification on the following. Number one. Was Benny Hinn invited to the Vatican? Number two, did Benny Hinn become a patron of the arts? Three, 
Did Paula White meet with Vatican officials and did she donate money? Thank you for your assistance. Would be greatly appreciated. Sincerely, Bud Press, the director of Christian Research Services. Um, he sent that on the 10th. The next day, the 11th of August, uh, Father Mark Haydu responded. And here was what Father Mark Haydu, who was like uh, the the guy the 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 guy in charge of these Vatican patrons of the air, you can see his picture right there at that website that I'm sending you to. And here's what he said: To my knowledge, Paula White or Benny Hinn were not invited to the Vatican museums in any official context, nor did we find anyone on our donors' database of patrons under those names. Haydu went on to say that because the Vatican employs thousands of people, he isn't aware of everyone who is invited to the Vatican. Quote, I am just aware of the patrons of the arts in the Vatican museums, he stated. So um, based upon uh, Father Mark Haydu, who's kind of like the, 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 the top dog there in Vatican City regarding the patrons of the art, uh, he's not aware of um, either Benny Hinn, or Paula White being invited to Vatican City and them being bestowed with the title of Patron of the Arts. In fact, uh, neither of them appear in their donor database. Yeah. So I've uh, fired off a couple of emails today to uh, Father Mark Hadu, uh there in the Vatican and uh, requesting that he would come on the program in order that we can get to the bottom of this, because here's the issue is, you know, as it stands at the moment, it's not looking good for Benny Hinn. It looks like he told a whopper of a story as his basically his alibi as to why he and Paula White were in um, in Rome together. You know, they were there on official business you know, pertaining to the patrons of the arts program. And the folks there in Vatican City are going, Paula, who? Benny, what? I mean, that's what they're basically saying. And that being the case, um, the alibi ain't washing. The facts, when you check the facts regarding what's being said, at the moment, it's not looking good. Maybe it's just, it, it, maybe it's just that the Vatican, you know, being such a large organization, one hand is not talking to the other. And uh, as a result of it, uh, Mark Haydu isn't aware of um uh, the official capacity in which uh, Benny Hinn traveled to uh, to Rome and that he is truly a – maybe it's just a delay in updating the database there and that both he and Paula are, you know, patrons of the arts. But here's the deal. If you wanted to become a patron of the arts, $1,000 would do the trick. $1,000. In fact, you could even be a patron of the arts for $250 a year. Um, I mean, he made it sound like this huge thing when in reality, if you look at the different membership programs offered at, at their website, I mean, couldn't he have, why did he have to fly, you know, on his private jet to Rome and you know, use up all of that private jet fuel and stay at the five star five diamond hotels that he stays at. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, which obviously, I mean, one night in a hotel where Benny Hinn stays is far more expensive than the $1,000 needed to become a patron of the arts. 
Um, you know, and jet fuel alone, a thousand dollars. I mean, how far does a thousand dollars worth of jet fuel get you? I mean, does that? I mean, he starts off in Orange County in in Southern California. Would that get him to New York? Um, um, how about Poughkeepsie? Um, maybe uh, Des Moines. Maybe to Miss- the Mississippi River. I mean, he spent a lot more than a thousand dollars in jet fuel flying from Orange County to Rome. Yeah. So here's the here's the issue. At the moment, things aren't looking good. And if it continues not looking good, and as we continue to fact check on this thing, um, as it, as we fact check, the question then arises that what if it pans out that uh, the Vatican basically says, listen, he hasn't given us any money. He's not a patron of the arts. We haven't bestowed this uh, title on him. And, uh, you know, he's just basically saying things that are not true. What does that lead us to then conclude regarding his relationship with Paula White? Here he's denying that there was any, you know, amorous um, hanky-panky going on and uh, that, you know, everything was above board. But if his alibi that's supposed to clear everything up, the facts that he's giving that's supposed to clear up the fact that he was not having an affair with Paula White turn out to not be factual, what are we then to conclude I mean, it's. I mean, if you're going to lie while telling people you're telling us the truth about the relationship and the facts that you're saying are not actually factual, as to the ex- explanation as to why you were in Rome with Paula White turn out to not be factual facts but lies, then is it possible that maybe Benny Hinn and Paula White were having an affair? I mean, why would you have to use lies? to cover the truth if the truth is that you weren't having an affair. You don't need to use lies to cover up the truth because the truth doesn't need lies to... Yeah, you see what I'm saying here? There's something something ain't right. Something ain't right. Ben, we're on it. We're, um, we're actually looking into it and uh, hope to get an official statement or even an interview with the Vatican. We'll keep you posted. Okay, we're up on our uh, second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith... You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We get back our first ever sermon review of a Hill song, a Brian Houston sermon. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Almighty, 
Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Are you tired of giving gifts that are as boring as elevator music? I mean, how many ties and dust-collecting paperweights does a person need? Well, Pirate Christian Radio has the perfect solution to boring gifts. The answer is Cloud9 Living. Cloud9 Living offers more than 1,600 unique and memorable experience gifts in 42 cities nationwide. Gifts such as hot air balloon rides, dinner cruises, stock car racing, skydiving, and combat aircraft dogfighting. Cloud9 Living has gifts for every taste and every budget. For more information on Cloud9 Living, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. You'll be glad that you did. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. It's our first ever uh, sermon review of uh, Brian Houston from Hillsong down there in Sydney, Australia. I've been making the claim this guy's a heretic. Now you get to hear it for yourself. This guy don't preach the historic Christian faith. Open up your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, by the way. You're going to need to. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review them all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon, actually we're going to do review two short ones, come to us from down under. I will not torture you with my Australian accent because I do not have one. In fact, if I were to even try to pretend I have an accent while saying something stupid like, 
fry me some shrimp on the Barbie or something like that, I would mess it up so bad that your ears could potentially begin bleeding. That being the case, I will skip the stupid Australian accents and just get right to the point. Our sermons come to us from Hillsong, Sydney, Australia. This is a church that is having profound influence and impact on American evangelicalism. But this is not a Christian church. You're saying, how can you say such a thing? Because they preach a false gospel. A church can call itself a Christian church all it wants, but if it doesn't present the historic Christian faith and the biblical gospel of Christ and Him crucified for our sins, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, but gives you a different gospel, then according to God's Word, if it preaches a different gospel, gives you a different gospel than that, then the pastor doing that is anathema. That means eternally condemned. Read Galatians chapter 1. I cannot emphasize enough that Hillsong is not a church that we should embrace as full of people who are Christian brothers and sisters, especially the leaders of Hillsong. They really are instead like the TBN prosperity preachers of the United States. They're the same stripe. They're scratching, itching ears, telling people what they want to hear and making a ton of money doing it. So with that, let me kill the music. We're going to dive into our sermon. Our first sermon, by the way, these are short sermons. Our first sermon um, is entitled, um, let's see, when ordinary, uh, sorry, when ordinary people see, when ordinary people see, you will need to open up your Bible to the minor prophet Habakkuk. That means you're not fam- if you're, you don't have a computerized Bible, you're going to need to go to the table of contents if you're not familiar with it. It's easy to overlook, Habakkuk. It's a small little book. When, what, I, what we're going to do here in a minute is I'm going to read to you, remember, our three rules for biblical interpretation are context, context, and context. Well, we're going to do some contextual work here in the book of Habakkuk because what you're going to hear Brian Houston say is an absolute lie in a twisting of the book of Habakkuk. That being said, uh, let's dive into our sermon. Here is Brian Houston, Hillsong, Sydney, Australia. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 and verse 3. This prophet, he's called a minor prophet, not by God, but by constructors of the Bible as we know it, the way it's put together. But listen to what this says. The Lord answered and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. Which, of course, were the greatest communication tool of the day. Big stone tablets. These days, we have multimedia opportunities to make the vision plain. Write the vision down and make it plain. That he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. If you think that we as a church, or that even you individually, is anywhere near fulfilling all of your vision, the vision is yet. It's out there. Okay, got to stop. Okay, now, is, is some of you may have had a hard time following on that. He's uh, reading Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 
out of context and basically ba- talking about your vision. Is that how to properly handle Habakkuk chapter 2? Not on your life. In, in other words, Brian Houston is pulling a fast one on you. This isn't about you or your vision or your vision, God's vision for your life or anything of the sort. If you have your Bible, open up to the book of Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to read this in context, okay? Here we go. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. This will give you a far better understanding of what's going on here in the book of Habakkuk. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Now, let me just do a little bit of interpretive work here. God, Yahweh, is speaking to the prophet Habakkuk and saying that he's going to raise up the Chaldeans. And here's how he describes them, as their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. They have their own ideas about justice and dignity. In other words, they make make their own stuff up. The Chaldeans are not Christians. They're not believers in the one true God. And here God is giving Habakkuk a vision, a prophetic utterance, that he's going to raise up the Chaldeans to judge Israel. The Chaldeans, these pagan peoples, are going to be used by God to judge Israel. Okay, Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. And then they sweep like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have not, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like the crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook, and he drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. 
Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offering to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower, and I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he has never, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, and how long, and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will spoil, you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of people shall plunder you for the blood of man and the violence of the earth to the cities and all who dwell in them. Yeah, when you read Habakkuk in context, verses 2 and 3 are not good news like, oh, God has a great vision for your life. You just got to wait for it. But write it on tablets and he'll make it known because you know, God has all these great this vision for a great life for you. Habakkuk is a vision of judgment against apostate Israel that God is going to call up the Chaldeans to destroy them, to take them off into captivity because of their idolatry, because of their sin and their wickedness and their refusal to repent and be forgiven. So when we get to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, it says, The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. So the person who reads the vision will sit there and go, oh, we got to get out of here. If we stick around here, we're going to get killed by the Chaldeans. For the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. When you read Habakkuk in context, this isn't about some vision for your life. This is about a vision of judgment. And those who read it at the time said, whoa, we got a split town because God's about ready to sack Jerusalem. He's going to raise up the Chaldeans. They're going to come and destroy this place. But that's not how Brian Houston taught this passage because he ripped it out of context. And then he started saying some bizarre things. Let me back the tape up. Listen carefully to how he uses this passage. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 and verse 3. This prophet, he's called a minor prophet, not by God, but by constructors of the Bible as we know it, the way it's put together. 
But listen to what this says. The Lord answered and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. Which, of course, were the greatest communication tool of the day. Big stone tablets. These days, we have multimedia opportunities to make the vision plain. Write the vision down and make it plain. That he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. If you think that we as a church, or even you individually, is anywhere near fulfilling all of your vision, the vision is yet. It's out there for an appointed time. But in the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not tarry. When ordinary people like you and I begin to see, extraordinary things begin to happen. Ordinary people can see extraordinary things accomplished. The text says nothing about ordinary people seeing extraordinary things accomplished. The vision given to Habakkuk was a vision of judgment, and he was to write it on tablets to make it plain so the people who read it would run. Because they would know then that the judgment of God was coming. Wow. When ordinary people like you begin to dream extraordinary things are born. When ordinary This is just a lie. The Bible doesn't teach anything of the sort. Every people are filled with vision. Extraordinary things are accomplished. Never underestimate the power of vision. Do you know, I can... Not the power of God, the power of Christ, the saving power of Christ and his cross. No, never underestimate the power of vision. Is vision our new God now, Brian? I say, whether I'm unusual, well, you already know that. But I can say that the one great blessing that I've had in my life and in my ministry, the one thing that it seems I've been graced with has been this innate sense of vision. Yeah, and who is he preaching about himself? Oh, yeah, the one, one wonderful thing about his ministry is his innate sense of vision. Really, where does the Bible teach this again? Hmm. Just the way somehow I am wired. That has been with me since I was a little five-year-old boy. Apparently he's the new Messiah. Where I have just had this great sense that I was born to lead, to build a church, and to preach. And you know, the thing about that is that when I began to preach everything about what you saw with your eyes and heard with your ears... Would have said, naturally speaking, and this is a God, this guy is kidding himself. But that sense of vision that God blessed me with may not be 
your story. But there's not a single person who's listening to my voice who at whatever age you are, young, middle-aged like myself, or old like one or two others here. No matter where you're at in your life, it's never too late to download a vision that's been uploaded from heaven. It's never too late to download a vision that's been uploaded to heaven. Where does the Bible say any of this stuff? It doesn't. This is tickling and scratching itching ears and basically puffing up egos and basically exchanging the truth of God for lies and mythologies. This guy ain't preaching historic biblical Christianity. This is something completely different, alien and foreign, and it smells of sulfur. Wow. I believe that vision in your life can be a great effective thing, you see. Yeah, that's nice. Why don't you open up the Bible and actually teach us what it really says, Brian? Vision gives any person's life intent. In other words, it points you. It gives you a reason to live. Vision for the person who's connected to God means that your life is about more than yourself. And when your life is about more than yourself and you are burning with a God-given vision, maybe your vision it is so different than mine, but you know that it's deep down inside of you. And you know what that does is it gives your life an intent and points your life in a way that virtually nothing else will do. I love to tweet. I only discovered this in more recent times. I've never been a technological whiz. And, well, blogs, there's a lot of time involved. And as for others, I do two or three a year. Do an Easter one and a Christmas one. But tweets, they suit me down to the ground. Short, sharp, doesn't always have to be brain science. <laughs> and I get, you know, great response and lots of retweets. But I've got these few atheists. I know they're atheists because it's in their bios. <laughs> who love every now and then to reply to my tweets and mostly it's tongue-in-cheek it's kind of you know sometimes it makes me laugh but I did a tweet it certainly wasn't brain science in recent times it just said something like this it said there is never a day that doesn't give you a chance to succeed or fail and someone with an atheist in their bio wrote a reply why does everything have to be so measured? You know, I really thought about the difference between believing in God and the difference for perhaps some who really have no reason to live outside and beyond themselves is intent. That's why it's important to you. That's why it's important to me that I live my life with a sense of God-given vision and I recognize the potential of a day 
and I don't just live my life for myself. Yeah, you don't need a crucified and risen Savior for this. Biblical Christianity doesn't teach about God-given vision. It teaches about Christ and him crucified for our sins. What Christ has done for us. I mean, this is just ego puffing up. I mean, I'm glad you believe in a, in a God, Brian, but I'm seriously doubting that the God you believe in is actually the God of the Bible. Yeah, you're different than an atheist. You believe in a God, all right. But your vision-casting, vision-downloading God, um, that's not the same God as the God of the Bible. You might use the same kind of Bible-ish language, and you use the Bible as kind of a pretense for your preaching, but you're not preaching the God of the Scriptures. You're preaching the, basically the God of your own imagination. Big difference. Your God's an idol. The biblical God is the real God. Vision is a powerful thing. It has self-fulfilling capacity. I mean, not just in itself and of itself. And certainly not if you just leave a vision to itself and you don't steward it. But vision has this incredible capacity to become life. It has a self-fulfilling capacity. And especially when it's connected to God. Psalm 37 verse 5. Well, one piece of scripture. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. That's the amazing thing about a vision that's connected to the cause of Christ. Okay, i got to point something out here. What you just heard was um, law. That's You're not, committing. That wasn't the gospel. That wasn't the gospel. We, he's setting up some kind of a precept. Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Out of context. He's making it basically some, this is some kind of a principle that you've got to apply. You do this and then God will give you the vision and then your life will have meaning and all that kind of stuff. At least that's the way he's preaching it. That's not what this text says. Read it in context. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, verse 1, Psalm 37. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, befriend the faithless. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now stop. Okay, Before you sit in there going, wait a second, uh -huh. remember verse 3. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. By the way, this is exactly the same kind of language that has to do with faith. The Greek word for faith, by the way, the noun is pistis. The verb is pistuo. Okay? And it means to believe in or trust in. Okay? And without faith and trust in God, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, 6 says... So when we talk about trusting in the Lord, we're talking about faith in Christ. We're talking about faith in the promises of God for the forgiveness of sins. And faith is a gift from God. Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship. Whose workmanship? God's. Where does faith come from? It's a gift from God. So here when the Bible admonishes us to trust in the Lord, to trust, this is a call to repentance and faith. And it, and the fruit of repentant faith in Christ, the fruit of repentant faith in the one true God, Yahweh, is delighting yourself in the Lord, befriending the faithless, committing your ways to him. Good works flow from it. You are not saved by works. We're saved to good works. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But notice he just goes right to verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Uh Uh-uh. You cannot get to verse 5 unless you go through verse 3 that calls us and calls all people to trust in, to have faith in Yahweh. So you, this isn't some formula that people follow. Oh, okay, I see. So if I commit my way to the Lord, then he'll act. Even look at verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will act. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those who do not trust in Christ, who do not trust in the Lord, who do not, who have not repented of their sins and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, he, God is not going to act on, on their behalf in the same way that he acts on behalf of Christians. And what I mean by that is that they might have common grace in the sense that the rain falls, they have their food at the proper time. Many of them do. That's a common grace kind of thing that God has given us. But we're talking about saving faith here. We're talking about those who fear, love, and trust in God above all things. That comes through the preaching of the gospel. Here, he's giving you a formula. And and what's the formula supposed to do? Commit your way to the Lord. and He's going to download this vision for you, and you can have some great things happen in your life. Psalms 37.5 doesn't say anything of the sort. Brian Houston is twisting God's word. Your way to the Lord, which doesn't mean that you just do whatever you want and pretty well live your life your way and you expect God to bless it. But you live your life connected to the cause of Christ, which means that you have committed your way to the Lord. And having committed your way to the Lord and trusting and depending on Him, you believe God that He will bring it to pass. And You believe God that He will bring it to pass. So it's a trust that He's going to bring your vision, the vision for your life to pass. Different gospel. And I can testify that God is true to his word. And though it tarries, wait for it, it will surely come. It it will. There he's quoting Habakkuk. He's quoting Habakkuk again. And out of context, that passage from Habakkuk 2 is about a prophecy, a vision of judgment. Oh, yeah, he's going to bring it to pass and he will not tarry. That should not make you happy. It should make you quake in your boots. Tarry, which is an old-fashioned word that means delay. It will not. You know, vision has a great power in that it sets parameters on your life. Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no vision, the Amplified Bible, people perish. 
Yeah, we covered this. If you want to understand what that verse really means, go go back and listen to the sermon I played from Pastor Charmley, where he talks about vision and the prophet. Tonight in this service, Joel LaBelle talked about that scripture and talks about how when we live within boundaries that are written not as rules and laws, but rather as parameters, it's not about restraining and restricting. It's actually about releasing and freeing and enabling you to run according to a God-given vision. Don't underestimate. So uh, when you obey God's law, then it's so that you can be released for God, vis- God-given vision. This is law. This is all law. Make the power of vision and what it can accomplish in your life. In Jesus' name. Listen to that scripture in the message translation. If we have it up here on the screen, it says what? The message isn't a translation. It's a bad paraphrase. What's God going to say to my question? I'm braced for the worst. I'll climb to the lookout tower, it says in verse 1, and scan the horizon. I'll wait to see what God says, how he'll answer my complaint. I'll tell you, it must have been an awesome surprise to Habakkuk when God's answer looked like this. Verse 2, it says, God answered, write this, write what you see, write it on big block letters so that it can be read on the run. This vision message is a witness pointing to what's... No, you don't write it on big blocks of stone so that it can be read on the run. That's not what he said. Write it on stone tablets so that he who reads it would run, knowing, oh no... God sending the Chaldeans to judge Israel. Coming, it aches for the coming. I love that right there. It can hardly wait. And it doesn't lie. If it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way. It will come right on time. Praise God. Vision is at its most effective when it is clear and easily relatable. The Bible doesn't say anything of the sort. Write the vision on tablets and make it plain. You know, it's really interesting because sometimes when it comes to vision, we kind of want to know the detail of specifics. But the word of the Lord for this Old Testament prophet was when you write the vision down, make it plain, clear and easily relatable. Do you know something? When it really comes to what's important in vision, I believe it comes down to knowing who you are and knowing what you are about. Because in terms of vision... Uh, The Bible doesn't teach this, by the way. He's completely winging it. He's just making stuff up. Vision. You'll never really know what your life is about if you don't know who you are. That's why. Do you mean a sinner, a rebel, somebody in need of the forgiveness of sins and somebody in need of saving by Christ? You mean dead in trespasses and sins, who I really am by nature. Is that what you mean? I don't think so. When Jesus was alive and living on earth. He's still alive, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But you know, when Jesus lived on earth, it seems that all sorts of groups and people around and about tried to pervert 
who Jesus was and what he represented. Now, there's an irony right there. Here, Brian Houston is perverting who Jesus is and what he's done. He is perverting God's word by ripping it out of context and literally what he's making Habakkuk 2 say is the opposite, 180 degrees opposite of what Habakkuk 2 is about. When I read it in context, including chapter 1, it was clear that the vision that was being written down was a vision of judgment against Israel. And here, he's making it sound like vision is this positive thing here because of Habakkuk 2. Write it down, make it clear so people can read it on the run. Isn't that great? It's important to have clear vision. The vision that he wrote down was a vision of judgment. But he's not telling you that. He's telling you a feel-good message so the people listening to this message are going to go, Wow, I had no idea that God was all about me having this great vision for my life. If I just apply these principles these and do these things, then God's going to have this great thing for me. He's lying to you. How can you tell he's lying to you? Because if he were telling you the truth, he wouldn't be twisting God's word to make it say things that it doesn't say. This is a false gospel. This man is a wolf, not a sheep, and he's dressed up in sheep's clothing, and it's it's like not even it it's not even a full sheepskin here. His teeth are showing, his schnoz is sticking right out. I mean, you have to practically be blind to not see that this guy is a wolf. Exactly what he was about, but Jesus, he knew who he was, and he knew what he was about. And so he made it plain. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I am the door. He knew who he was. He knew who he am. And he also knew who or what he was about. As a 12-year-old kid, Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. And if you simply know who you are, and when I say who you are... When you simply know who you are, really, where does the Bible teach this? Wow. I'm talking about who you are in terms of what God says about you. Who you that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, right? Jesus said when he sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin and unbelief. It's in the Gospel of John. Look it up. Jesus said in Luke 24, go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name. And when you unpack what that means, it's it's a changing of your mind and thinking you're a decent person to understanding you are liable to the wrath of God because of your sinful wretchedness. That's why you need the forgiveness of sins. This, that's the repentance and sins part is missing from Brian Houston's little sermon here. When you realize who you are, oh, and you know your purpose and you have vision and you, and you do, do these things, then you can be released to experience vision. This is an ego puffing up false gospel without repentance and the forgiveness of sins that distorts the cross of Christ into something that it's not. 
you are in terms of the purpose of God, who you are in terms of the family of God, when you really start to see who you are, then I believe you will get to fulfilling what you are about. And your gifts and your talent. Which of the apostles preached this? Where can we find this in the apostolic teaching? We can't. Where did the prophets talk like this? None of them spoke like this. Not Moses, not Habakkuk, not Isaiah, not Jeremiah, not even King Solomon in all of his wisdom dared to speak such blasphemous things. And whatever else it is that's on your life, your vision, your passion, you know, whatever it is that matters to you, the great key to really connecting with what you're about is connecting to the great I am who through his son, Jesus Christ, can help you to really understand who you am. So through Jesus Christ, I, God can help me understand who I am. You mean a sinner in need of a savior, that right? That's what you mean, right? Why do, why do I doubt that's what you mean? And when you understand who you am, you'll understand that it's about the Father's business, that that's what your business, your endeavors, your gifting, your talent, your career, your future, your dream, your passion is all about. Let me play that little litany again, because it's breathtaking. It reminds me of what, Isaiah 13? I will ascend to the highest. I will do, I will, you know, Satan's little monologue in Isaiah. That's what your business your endeavors, your gifting, your talent, your career, your future, your dream, your passion is all about. Who? It's all about me. Really. It is all about you. Now, the greatest collection of me worship ever assembled on one CD. It's all about now. I lift my name on high. All 20 songs, all about you. This amazing collection is great to share with friends, if you have any. Everyone can join in the worship with you, for you, and about you. Because you are unique, and you love you. There is none like me. this for only $19.95. Operators are standing by to serve you. If you order now, you'll also receive a second CD of Yuletide Favorites. Call 1-800-ME-ME-ME or order online at memyselfandi.com. Call today because no one can praise you like you. Let's continue. That's making it plain. And we want to make it much more detailed than that. 
We want to know specifics, but when I talk about as a five-year-old, when I first have a memory of connecting with Jesus, my dad was a pastor, of course, and I can still remember being in the front of a meeting and in my own little young way giving my heart to Jesus. And since that time, like anyone else, that's been challenged and that's been tested. And as a teenager, I struggle with all sorts of temptations. But the reality is that vision, it was a passion that was deep down inside of me that gave my life intent that in fact that vision wow this is quite a testimony isn't it it's uh, this is a testimony of that vision that god gave him wow has put the kind of parameters on my life that has helped me today to still be standing here and ultimately i believe is becoming because it hasn't yet become self-fulfilling the lord bring it to pass in Jesus' name. So Jesus is the revealer of the vision. He has to follow the rules so that the vision can be fulfilled. And then once he does that, it becomes a self-fulfilling vision. Apparently the vision is as God. Jesus knew who he was and he knew what he was about. That's why I believe when God gave Moses so much vision, it freaked him out that he was going to use Moses to take people, God's people, out of bondage and out of slavery and bring them toward freedom. And the- who, who was going to take them out of bondage? God was. The very first thing that Moses said was, who am I? Because there's nothing like a vision which will be much bigger than you feel you are capable of. That- oh, brother. The Bible doesn't preach this. This is reading things into the Scripture that are not there in order to make people feel good about themselves. So they'll basically give you a lot of money and keep coming back. That vision will expose that insecurity in you that just makes you feel, well, who am I? <laughs> Peter. You know, really. God speaking to him, Jesus speaking to him, but through speaking to Peter, really speaking to all of us. He says, Your name is Peter. And then he says, And upon this rock, speaking about himself, Jesus, I will build my church. And today we get a chance to be a part of what God is all about, what Jesus Christ is all about, the building of his church. But for Peter to really connect with what his life was about, he just needed to understand who he was. So in order for Peter to connect with what God was doing, he just needed to understand who he was. And who is that? sinner in need of a savior i'm not hearing that part i'm not hearing about repentance and the forgiveness of sins and the cross of christ i'm hearing a mythology being spun about vision he knew his name was peter he knew what his name was but what this was was a revelation of what jesus christ in him was able to fulfill All right, that's sermon number one. Here is sermon number two. Uh, When Ordinary People See, part two by Brian Houston, Hillsong, Sydney, Australia. Notice any problems here theologically, doctrinally, biblically? And notice any problems? You should. Yesterday morning I was in Bondi. And uh, sitting in a little cafe there having a cup of coffee. In actual fact, I was having 
if it be true confession time, a big brown bread roll with bacon and egg in it. And I was enjoying every morsel with my strong, extra hot, skinny latte. And I just looked at a table full of, of men, not too far, actually, right beside where my table was. And they were doing what people do over that way on Saturday mornings. They had pretty well the Saturday morning paper spread sort of all over the table in the sports section there. And it reminded me of time eight years ago when Bobby and I were in Bondi and this building had just been completed. And uh, inside that same newspaper is a magazine that apparently then at least was the most read publication in Australia. And on the front cover was a picture of Bobby and I, and I remember it because we walked in Bondi that day watching everybody reading their morning papers and her and I on the front page. And, you know, eight years on, was it really that story, who we were or what we were about? Maybe there were some things to learn, but deep down, it was nothing like who we really are. And what we're really about. And I think about how the devil, not just publicly, but internally even, has often tried to get me off course with who I am and what I'm about. And the- oh, trust me, you're already way off course. You're not preaching the biblical gospel, so Satan has succeeded a long time ago. And the enemy would love to pervert what this church is and who we are. No, 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 no. That church has already perverted who God is, what he's about, what Christ has done, and what the biblical message is. Satan doesn't need to pervert you guys. You've already, you, you're already working for him because you're not preaching the biblical gospel. About, but if we just simply know as a church, this is who we are. Hillsong is all about loving a God that's loving people. Hillsong Church is personal. Hillsong Church is not just a big... Who are they worshiping at this point? Themselves. Crowds, although that's wonderful. Hillsong Church is about people, individuals, teenagers, children, families. It's about connecting those people and their potential with a God who loves. And if we just... Know- it's about connecting those people and their potential with a God who loves. That's not the biblical gospel. The biblical gospel is Christ died on the cross for our sins, and he was raised on the third day for our justification. And we are called to repent of our wicked, wretched sinfulness, for none is righteous, and to trust in Christ alone and his shed blood on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. The biblical gospel nowhere states anything about connecting people with potential with a loving God. No, it has nothing to do with your potential at all. In fact, not one biblical author, not one, says anything about your potential. Who we are and what we're about, their vision will automatically begin to flow. Vision is the most effective when it's clear and relatable. It's the most effective when it gives people a reason to run. It releases them to run. Write the vision down, make it plain, that they may run. (laughs) 
Habakkuk chapter 2, if we, ju- we just read it, you, you, and look what he's doing with this. It's absolutely ridiculous. When you read Habakkuk 1, the vision basically states God is going to raise up the Chaldeans, these godless people who have their own ideas of justice and, and whose God is their might, their own mightiness. He's going to raise them up and send them to destroy Israel. And that's the vision. Okay. So the Lord, Habakkuk 2, with that in mind, the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain so that he may run who reads it. That means the person who reads the vision might go, oh, no, and split because they know that the judgment of God is coming. Look what he's doing with this passage. Who read it? You know, you were made to run. I was made to run. And you look at that in the natural, and that's the most ridiculous statement when it comes to me. Because I am possibly the worst runner I have ever seen. <laughs> yeah, you know, your inability to run pales in comparison with your inability to properly handle God's word. Trust me, no one's going to go to hell because you can't run. But it's very clear to me that there's plenty of people who are going to go to hell thinking that they're worshiping the and believing in the one true God when they are not because you of your inability to properly handle God's word. I mean, coordination is definitely not my gift. And if... And neither is exegesis. God using you was based on your coordination... I am in serious trouble. You know the amazing thing about that? I was made to run. I was made to run when it comes to God's purpose. And many people, they're made to run, but they're not running, they're stuttering. Many people, they have nothing to run for and nowhere to run to. And what I love about a God-given vision And suddenly you have a reason to run. You have a reason to run toward and for something which is so much more important than yourself. That they may run who read it. Oh, let's always be a people. Let's always be a church. That's all about releasing people to run with what God has on their lives in Jesus' name. That's why right in the mission statement, the vision of our church comes those words, empowering people to lead and impact in every sphere of life. Because I never want this just to be a church where people come to church. I want this to be a church that equips and empowers people to run with what God has on their life, to help them stand up and to recognize that in Christ there is a future and a hope and there's a purpose for them. And I want to see people given a reason to run in Jesus' name and to run in a way. Nothing about repentance and the forgiveness of sins here. Yet people are clapping and saying amen. Why? Because they're having their ears tickled by uh, Brian Houston here, who's mangling God's word. That lines up with what the word of God says. (laughs) They may run who read it. The message says, write it in big block letters. One translation that says, write it in the memo of your Blackberry. That's the Houston translation. <laughs> that they may run 
who re- I love to be a part of a vision that gives people a reason to run. And I look at people who have great potential to run with something God's given them. I, last night, we talked a little bit about Chris Mendez. Hey, Chris just went last year with Hillsong United and myself to Latin America, South America, where we had an amazing time. And of course, United, they played incredible and worshipped God. And there were just thousands of people that came. And the very first night in Peru, I wasn't able to be there. And so Chris Mendez got up and he preached in Spanish. You know... It's not as though Chris wasn't always gifted and talented. I mean, when he was a young man, a pretty well a teenager, he was running his own restaurant. But his life wasn't running. His life was spluttering. He connected with Jesus. And through a God-given vision, breathed and birthed in his spirit for the Latin-speaking world. All of a sudden... A vision birthed in his spirit. Apparently he was pregnant. Um, yeah, here we go again. These guys seem to be uh, direct relatives, not even distant cousins of the Patricia King gang. Yeah, they're from the same family tree. Yeah, Patricia King and Brian Houston have much in common. Suddenly, you've got a man who is empowered to run. And he's inspired to run. And he's not running by going to the whole Latin world, though God's opening doors of opportunity. You know what he's doing? He is serving a global vision by building a Latin-speaking church and reaching the Spanish people right here in our own city in Jesus' name. And that vision... That vision, it is yet for an appointed time. It is all in front of him. But I watch how Chris is filled like so many others here with vision. He came to me and came to our leaders of just a, a year or two ago. And he says, there's a Spanish radio station. We can get a program on there. And if we get a program on there, we'll be reaching Sydney Spanish-speaking people. So he's done that. And not only is he reaching the Spanish-speaking people in Sydney, people are... Ch- Need to warn all you Spanish-speaking folk in Sydney, Australia. Heresy's coming. It's coming. Be warned. Yeah, by the way, I was just reading a commentator on Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Uh, one commentator points out the fact that this may be referring to the fact that because of the of the plainness of the prophecy... What was the prophecy? The prophecy was given in chapter 1 of the destruction of, of you know, the, the judgment against Israel by God through God raising up the Chaldeans. So one, one commentator talks about how the fact that the, the, it was being written on tablets show, and it being made plain shows the urgency of the vision that God gave. What was the vision? That he's going to judge Israel and he's raising up the Chaldeans to come and judge them. And that they're not going to be able to stand against them. And so the idea of running here may refer to the idea that other people might see it and run and warn other people. So this, there's the sense of urgency in the running it has to do with, yikes, we're about ready to be judged. God is, God is going to judge us. The prophecy is plain. It's written on tablets. And so they, they are running house to house. Think in this sense of like, in American history, uh, you think of Paul Revere. 
The British are coming. The British are coming. In this case, it's the warning from God. The Chaldeans are coming. The Chaldeans are coming. Yikes. God's going to judge us. Yeah, that's what another. That's, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm not far off here at all. In fact, I'm not off. This running here talks about the urgency of the judgment of God against Israel. Tuning in in Latin America and Chile and the Dominican Republic and in Argentina and in all sorts of parts of the globe. He is a man who connected with Jesus and then got a God-given vision that has released them to run. And that's what vision will do for you. And the most effective vision you can ever have is a vision that gives you a reason to run. Somewhere to run to and something to run for. Uh, yet, if you read it Habakkuk in context, it was, uh, it was something to run from. And especially if it releases other people into their God-given opportunity in Jesus' name. A vision. Is- A vision that releases other people into their God-given opportunity. This is pure self-aggrandizing mythology. This is not biblical doctrine or teaching. Is it's most effective when it aches in the coming. Notice the sappy music. It will surely come. That's what the Bible says about vision. Uh, No, it doesn't. That's what the Bible said about a particular vision given by God to Habakkuk regarding the judgment of Israel and the instrument of that judgment being the Chaldeans. In the New King James translation, listen to what the Bible says. The way that Eugene Peterson, in the message, the way he paraphrased it, which is just beautiful. It says there, instead of it will surely come, It says it aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. You want to know how to live your life with an effective vision? Just have a vision. Not only does it ache in you. So if you want to have an effective vision, make sure it's an aching vision. And anyone here who's just filled with vision for the future, you know what it is for the vision to ache in the coming. But even more important than an aching inside of you, is that in terms of the need it's going to meet, if you have a vision that aches in the coming, then you have an effective vision. So that's good news. If you have an achy vision, that's actually not bad. That's good. Yeah, make sure that, in fact, if you have a vision that doesn't isn't achy, that may be bad. Because if you have an achy vision, then that means it's good and it's probably going to happen. We're a church, and as a church... Certain times and certain God-given seasons where there were things that just ached in the coming. This building's a great example. We were meeting next door. The place was packed. I mean, they were great, great times in many ways if you want to get sentimental. But often for services, people would be lined around the whole building waiting to get into the next service. And that meant that this vision ached in the coming. And having that kind of need meant there was a flow to it that will never be there if vision is only about ourselves. And you know, that's where as a church, there's... 
this is all nonsense at this point because none of this is taught in God's word at all. Habakkuk chapter 2 doesn't teach this. He's just using that as a pretense for this vision-casting mythology that isn't the biblical gospel and isn't sound biblical doctrine. This is heresy. Need that we can look to. There's so many people that we can reach. There's so much that aches in the coming that we will always have more vision than we do resources. But if we ever get to the point where we're just having vision that's all about ourselves and we're building buildings just as a memorial to ourselves or a legacy to an individual, can I tell you that that moment, vision will never be effective. And rather than ache in the coming, it will ache in the pain. Yeah, so you don't want that to happen. Whew, could you imagine if you have a, a, a vision that's aching in the pain rather than the aching in the... I mean, that's just terrible. And make sure you better do the right thing so that your aching is the kind of aching that, well, that causes your vision to give birth, not to, you know, to, well, to be aborted. I mean, yeah, this is vision by works, not by grace. But you've you got to do the right things, and you got to make sure that you do the right things. Otherwise, that vision will just, you know, it'll cause you pain and sorrow rather than joy. This is just dumb. This is not biblical Christianity. This is not taught in God's word. This man is lying. You were born to run. You were designed for God-given purpose. And the devil, he would try to beat your vision and discourage you from it and try to get you to pull back from it and draw. Yeah, that's what the devil's all about, to beat you and keep you away from your vision. Right. Where does it say that in the Bible? Yeah, it doesn't. Draw back from it. But if you really understand who you are and what you are about and realize that you're alive for a purpose bigger than yourself and you live your life connected to a cause that's not... If you live your life connected to a cause, this is all law. We're not hearing the biblical gospel. We're hearing the ravings of a madman. All of this has its origin not in God's word, not in the teaching of the apostles or what Jesus said, but it has its origin in this guy, in Brian Houston. A cause that is just about your need, but it's all about the cause of Jesus Christ. If you understand that through vision you can live a life of intent and you can have the kind of boundaries and parameters that actually release you into God-given opportunity. And you'll still go to hell. And vision in you. This isn't repentance and the forgiveness of sins. This is something different. Will have a self-fulfilling capacity. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that we'll be a people who, if we have vision, that it will be stirred up inside of us. Lord, I pray that we'll be a people who, if the one thing that our life seems to lack is direction, intent. Sound doctrine, the biblical gospel. Lord, I pray that we can get the kind of vision and maybe even it's the kind of vision that comes in the night that we can hardly keep up in the writing of it. But Lord, it's a vision. Not so important in its detail, but important in the revelation that we're children of the living God. 
that we're about our Father's business, that we can get in our spirit a dream, a vision, a purpose that will enable us to run a vision that aches in the coming, a vision that meets a need, a vision that works the purpose of God. Lord, have your way on people, I pray here. And even now, begin to stir passion and vision in people's lives, I pray. Lord. Boy, he he sure does do a good job of clothing himself in pious, biblical-sounding language. But none of it is from God. None of it. None of it's even biblical. None of it's sound doctrine. This is all lies. In Jesus' name, your will be done. Your will be done. Yeah, we can summarize this sermon as this. There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow And tomorrow's just a dream away Man has a dream and that's the start He follows his dream with mind and heart And when it becomes a reality It's a dream come true for you and me So there's a great big beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great big beautiful tomorrow Just a dream By the way, that song was from Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. You weren't hearing the biblical gospel being preached. You were hearing the message of the Carousel of Progress, human potential. This was just chock full of false gospel. Brian Houston is a heretic. What he is preaching is not the biblical gospel. You did not hear God's word correctly handled. It was mangled in order to basically bring you the same message you can get for basically a sea ticket ride at Disneyland, the carousel of progress. Do you see now why I don't think Brian Houston is a Christian? Do you see now why having Bill Hybels inviting folk from Hillsong to address Christians at a so-called Christian leadership conference and embracing her as if she's a Christian sister is wrong. Why Ed Young flying across the globe to Sydney, Australia to participate in the Hillsong conference shows that he has zero biblical discernment and understanding of what the of what the Bible really teaches and zero fidelity to the truth. Hillsong is not an ally of Christ. They are an enemy of Christ. And that's how we must see them and how they must be treated. And those who would say that they're allies and brothers and sisters are lying to you. And that's just the stark, naked truth of it. You disagree with me? Then show me where they preach the biblical gospel. Show me where sound doctrine is really the thing that is being preached there. It isn't. It's the prosperity gospel, human potential, and scratching itching ears with a false gospel. They are not Christians. They are enemies of Christ. And it's time for the church to wake up and to call a spade a spade. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring 
Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you disagree with me, then say so, but back it up biblically. Show me where in the Bible that teaches this nonsense about you were made to run and God's God's given vision and all that kind of stuff. Show me in the clear teachings of God's word that it says any of this nonsense. If you'd like to email me, my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.